Last week was Easter. I hope you had a good Easter weekend. We had a little chocolate hunt here with the with the children, um, and so the kids came home with like so much chocolate. <laughs> um, we we have we have, we did let them eat one, and we kept the the rest in the fridge. Um, and I will not say whether or not I snuck some. So I hope you all had a nice Easter weekend. And um, it's interesting how we had. A long weekend with Easter, and now here we are with another long weekend because it's uh, a public holiday again because of Anzac. And last weekend I talked about Easter and a bit of history and its significance. And so today um, I, I'm not going to go into the history of Anzac, but I wanted to um, touch a little bit on the phrase um, "lest we forget." Of course, Anzac is a time for us to remember the sacrifice of Australians and New Zealand's New Zealanders who served and died. Um, in all wars and conflicts and peacekeeping operations, um, but also those who contributed and suffered. Uh, they might not have given their lives, but they definitely lost a lot um, and sacrificed a lot. And so this is a time for us to reflect and honor their um, service. Days like Anzac Day and Remembrance Day remind us to pause and reflect on the fact that we owe our lives to other people, to the sacrifice and the service of other people. And I don't think we thank people enough you know I don't know about you but it's so easy to get caught up in life and we forget that oh thanks to the rubbish bin collectors you know the rubbish leaves our home you know thanks to all the healthcare workers um, we can we can you know get the healthcare that we need um, and trust that if we get sick that we can get some help hopefully and thanks to um, everybody involved, right, in the infrastructure of, of running everything, um, we get to enjoy the peace and the comfort of, of life. Now, the phrase, lest we forget, is kind of what I wanted to focus on today. And you might have heard this phrase used um, around Anzac Day. Now, where did this phrase come from? Well, in 1897, Roger Kipling wrote a poem called Recessional. And here's the first stanza. He says, God of our fathers, known of old, Lord of our far-flung battle line, beneath whose awful hand we hold dominion over palm and pine, Lord God of hosts, be with us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. And there's four more stanzas. But this poem became very well known after World War I, and that phrase, lest we forget, became widely used to honor the fallen. So this poem has been made into a hymn, and it's sung at the dawn service um, on Anzac Day in Australia. So on Monday morning, if you're planning to go to, down to the Shrine of Remembrance to join in that service, you might hear this poem. This poem was actually originally inspired by a verse in the Bible. So Roger Kipling um, was inspired by a verse in Deuteronomy, which I'm going to focus on today. And I want to give you a little bit of background history on uh, the book. So the book of Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. The Bible is uh, composed of 66 books and the book of Deuteronomy is the fifth book written by the man named Moses. Now the word Deuteronomy literally means the second law because much of the book is a review of what has already happened before. Now Moses who wrote this book, let me give you a little bit of history about him. He was a son of a slave um, born in Egypt around 1526 BC. And the Pharaoh, most likely Thutmose I, you know, there's um, 
various scholars who tried to pin down exactly who it was. But um, based on my research, most likely the I um, is what a lot of scholars say. And this is probably the pharaoh who ordered that the Israelite boys um, be killed to call the population growth because he didn't want a slave uh, uprising. And so he ordered the death of all male babies. Now Moses' mother, Jochebed, didn't want, of course, her son to die. So she managed to hide him for about three months. But as anyone with little babies know, after about three months, it gets really hard to hide them because um, they, you know, they get bigger, they're louder, they're... Um, they're moving a bit, and and so she couldn't hide him anymore in the house, and she's desperate to to save his life. Doesn't know what to do, so she she puts him in a waterproof basket, and puts him on the River Nile, in some reeds, you know, and has uh, Moses's older sister Miriam watch over the baby while she has to go work to build the various constructions of Egypt, and the other other uh, work that they had to do. And so little Miriam is watching over her baby brother, and along comes a princess, Pharaoh's daughter, to bathe in the river. And uh, because the Egyptians believed that the river Nile was sacred, um, and they believed in the god of the river, um, it's likely that she believed that this little baby was a gift from the gods. And she names him Moses, which means drawn from the water, and she adopts him. And so Moses grows up as a prince. And by the way, the princess um, who adopted Moses was most likely Hatshepsut. You might have heard of her before. She, was, uh, she later on became Pharaoh herself. Um, and there's actually a very fascinating bit of history because um, for a long time, scholars didn't know she existed because the pharaohs who came after her tried to completely erase all memory of her by demolishing uh, all her statues and constructions and all records of her. And it wasn't until uh, very you know, late in archaeological diggings that they discovered a few remnant pieces and were able to piece together the history. But anyway, that, that's a fascinating story for another time. So Moses grows up as the prince of Egypt, but one day he's a grown adult now, um, and obviously having this identity crisis, um, loyalty crisis between you know, who he is as prince of Egypt, but who he is as a son of the Hebrew slaves. And he sees an Egyptian slave master beating a Hebrew slave. And Moses intervenes, but in the process, he kills the Egyptian slave master, tries to hide the fact, gets discovered, and Pharaoh is out to get Moses, and Moses runs away. So what a turn of events for him. Moses runs away to the wilderness, and he ends up being a shepherd for 40 years. Gets married, has a couple of kids. And that might have been the end of Moses' story if it hadn't been for God coming along and saying to Moses one day, Hey, I want you to go back to Egypt to rescue my people. He says, I have heard their cries, and it is time, and I want you to be the one to go back and bring them out of slavery. Of course, Moses is not happy with his plan and gives a bunch of excuses and reasons why he doesn't want to do it, but eventually surrenders to God's will. Um, and the long story short, Moses does, uh, through God's miracles, he leads this massive group of people out of Egypt. But now he has this enormous task of taking them from the slavery, which was the only thing they had known for generations, into now being a nation of their own. 
Now, through this process, they um, grumble a lot. And even though God is protecting them and, and providing them um, with miracles, you know, their, their clothes didn't wear out, their shoes didn't wear out. He literally fed them bread from heaven. Um, he brought them water out of a rock. But despite all this, the Israelites were not happy, constantly rebelled against God. Now, through Moses, oh, I forgot to show you. This is most likely the Pharaoh um, under whom, under whose rule Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt. And there's also a lot of really fascinating story about him um, and how his firstborn son died. But anyway, moving on. So God gives Moses um, three sets of laws to, to then communicate to the rest of, of the people. And the, their laws can often be divided into three sections. One we call the moral law, which contains the Ten Commandments. There's also the civil laws, which have to do with, like, relational things, um, inheritance, how, what, you know, the penalties if you, if you uh, steal from each other, etc. And then there was the ceremonial law, which were the rituals for how to approach God. This was the sacrificial system of the sanctuary, the religious feasts, etc. And so God has given um, in the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, you see Moses explaining these sets of laws. But here in Deuteronomy, which is the fifth and last book of Moses, Moses repeats some of these laws. And that's why I'm bringing this up. And what happens to Moses is that after they grumble and rebel um, and just repeatedly prove themselves not ready <laughs> to become a new nation, to take on um, the challenges of, of becoming a new nation, uh, of conquering the new land, etc. Forty years go by, and God basically lets Moses know, hey, it's time to retire. So God appoints a new leader named Joshua for the people, and Moses is now giving his farewells to the people. So that's what Deuteronomy is. Deuteronomy is a book of five speeches of Moses, okay, where he's saying farewell. And the phrase that he repeats over and over again, the theme of Deuteronomy is remember, remember, don't forget. So when you look in the book of Deuteronomy, 16 times Moses says, remember. Eight times he says, don't forget. For example, this is the verse that inspired Roger Kipling to write the poem that has that phrase, lest we, lest we forget. Moses says, So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You see, Moses kind of predicted that, hey, when you get comfortable, right, when you finally get, get the fulfillment of your dreams and expectations, when you're on the other side of the wilderness and your needs are being met, you're going to forget. And he says, don't forget, right? When you have all those good things and you're enjoying the things that your hands did not actually build for yourself, don't forget. He goes on to say in Deuteronomy chapter 8, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. 
Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and your flocks grow large, and your silver and your gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You see, pride is one of the sins that happens as a result of us feeling self-sufficient. When we get to that place in our financial or physical or emotional or relational or whatever it is, states where we think, I've got this, right? And of our own strength and of our own efforts, we think that we are producing things in our lives. That's when the pride of sins comes into our hearts and it disconnects us from God. Because we forget that God is the one who led us here. God is the one who makes all this possible. And Moses reminds them of this. And he goes on to say um, at the end in verse 17, well, he reminds them once again, he says, He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in in the end it might go well with you. You might say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. You see, even our talents, right, our abilities, our intellect, our resources, everything that we have is from God. And so 24 times Moses says, remember don't forget. Remember, don't forget. And he, throughout these repetitions, he shares five different ways that we can remember and not forget. So let me go over those with you now. So the first is one way to not forget and remember is to constantly review history. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 7, remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father and he will tell you. Your elders and they will explain it to you. When's the last time you went to your parents or your grandparents or just any elder in your community and asked them, what have you survived? How has God led you? What's a prayer request that God answered for you? What did you have to sacrifice and who did you do it for? What miracles have you experienced? This week, I asked my parents this question. You know, I called them up. And I said, can you tell me about how God has answered a prayer for you? They were a bit, like, taken off guard. Um, and they're, because I said, I want you to tell me a story I haven't heard before, right? And they're, like, trying to think of one that, I, you know, I haven't shared with them in the, my whole life. And so, and then they told me a story that, um, obviously, at one point I knew, but I have forgotten. And the story is this. So, in 1994... We used to live in Pennsylvania, which is on the eastern side of the U.S., and in the winter, it snows. And, you know, we're in Melbourne, so you don't get to see snow very often, but in Pennsylvania, the snow literally can sometimes come up to here. And, you know, it's pretty when it's just nice, soft, you know, falling slow. But then the blizzards come. Now, my uh, my family we we moved to the we had lived in California, and then we had just moved to Pennsylvania. So my dad had never driven through snow, let alone a blizzard. 
And what happened is one day, and my mom and dad both told me the story from two different angles. <laughs> so my mom said one day my dad had gone out um, to, to meet and visit somebody. And, you know, she was doing her own thing. And all of a sudden she, she said she felt impressed to pray for my dad. So she said at that moment she just she felt compelled to pray. So she got on her knees and she prayed for my dad. But she didn't really know why. Well, a few hours later, a blizzard all of a sudden unexpectedly hit that, that area. Hours passed and my dad hasn't come home. Now, this is 1994 before cell phones, right? And so my mom is worried. Where is my dad? What is happening? Meanwhile, my dad right, has, has left the home that he was visiting and he was on his way home when the blizzard hit. Now, most of you have never driven through a blizzard. I have, and I found this video for you. This is not my video. This is this is from YouTube, but this is um, just a, a snippet of what a driving through a blizzard is like. Now imagine you're driving through this blizzard on a windy Pennsylvania road. Okay, very Pennsylvania is a beautiful state, lots of mountains, and it's your first time driving through these kinds of conditions. And so my dad swerved off like slid and swerved off the road and his car went down the valley now fortunately it didn't go all the way down it kind of stopped a few meters down and he was able to crawl crawl out of the car so then he manages to climb up to the top he's not injured but he's you know definitely shaken and so then he goes up and he's now trying to hail down a car because no cell phones 1994 so he's trying to get help right no car is stopping for him. So my dad prays because now it's getting freezing. And my dad is like so skinny. He has no meat on his bones. So he's freezing. And now he's scared he might freeze to death, right? So he's standing there. And, you know, because it's bad conditions, not a lot of cars are on the road. And he's praying, God, please send someone to help me. Well, a car comes by. Several cars just passed him by. But finally a car stops. A young man got out of the car and said, can I help you? What's the matter? So my dad's so relieved. And in his broken English, because we had you know, moved to uh, America not, not long before this, my dad tries to explain what happened. And the young man um, managed to get to a payphone, right? call the police, call, call the towing truck. And the young man was nice enough to drive my dad home. Um, my mom says, my dad says he drove him home. My mom says that he escorted him home, like with my dad's truck. There's a few different versions, but eventually my dad got home, right? Um, and can you imagine the relief when my dad got home? And the relief, of course, from the mom who's been waiting for him to come home. And my mom said that, because my mom has a better memory than my dad. My mom says, oh, my dad got home. He said, you almost became a widow, widow today, widower today. Like I almost died today. Um, I don't remember this, <laughs> but, and so when they were telling me this story, I just thought to myself, wow, right? What? And, and I know many stories that we have shared together, my parents and I, but this was one that I had forgotten about. When's the last time you've, you've asked your parents or your elder or someone else for their story of when God has answered their prayer? When's the last time you've reviewed your own story, right? Sat down and thought about the milestones that God has gotten you through. How God has guided you to where you are now. 
philosopher George Santayana said, those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. It's so important to look at your own story, your parents' story. And if you ever go to counseling, one of the first things they'll ask you is, tell me about your parents. Tell me about their story. Because so much of our stories get passed on to the next generation. right? And it impacts each generation, even though we don't realize it. And it's not until we tell our parents' story and our grandparents' story and our great-grandparents' story and our communal history that we start to realize the patterns. And we start to understand, ah, oh, that's, that's why I think this way, or that's why it's done this way. It's important to look at the history of the world and the history of the Christian church. Lineagejourney.com has these great videos and podcasts and articles about the history of the Christian church. So season one is the history of the Christian church from 4th century to about 16th century when the Protestant Reformation happened. And so if you've ever wondered why there are so many denominations, what's the difference between the Catholic Church and the Anglican Church, what's the difference between a Baptist Church and a, uh, a Lutheran Church, season one is what you should watch. Season two goes into the history of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. If you've ever wondered what is a Seventh-day Adventist Church and how did we become a separate denomination, watch season two. They're currently working on season three, which is um, they're going through the Bible now. So they're starting from Genesis and going through that. Um, I'm enjoying kind of seeing those updates. So learn and review history. That's the first way we can remember and not forget. The second way is to practice praise and thanksgiving. Deuteronomy chapter 10, Moses says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performs for you, performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. We all have something to praise God for. You know, pray, the difference between praise and thanksgiving is that praise is um, talking about God's attributes, right? Praise God because he is the Lord of lords, because he's powerful. And then thanksgiving is saying, thank you, God, for the food, right? It's thanking God for the specific things he does for our lives. And we all have something to praise about because God is who he is, regardless of what we're going through. And we all have something to give thanks to uh, for because God has given us Jesus. And we talked about that last weekend with Easter, right? Jesus has given us his life. And so we have eternal life. And that is something we can be thankful for, no matter how rough a situation we're going through. Do you remember last year when I talked about Nightbird? Uh, for those of you who um, remember this, Nightbird is her, um, her song, her singer name. Her real name is Jane Markzewski. And last year I shared about her in my series, Songs in the Night, if you remember. And I talked about how she has um, inspired millions of people because um, she was on America's Got Talent and she had been battling uh, cancer, terminal cancer, for several years. And her incredible faith and her just attitude and her, um, her voice and everything just, she, you know, she went viral. Well, last month she finally succumbed to her cancer and she passed away. She was only 31 years old. And... I returned to her blog 
quite often, actually, for myself and also to share with other people. Because despite getting diagnosed with terminal cancer in her 20s, despite being divorced by her husband um, after her diagnosis, despite being in incredible pain, right, Jane still found things to be grateful. And in fact, the reason why her name, she chose the name Nightbird was because one night she was so much in pain, throwing up on the floor all night long. And it was dark and she heard a bird outside singing. And she thought, oh, that bird, it's not morning yet, it's still dark. And then she realized, but the bird believes morning is coming, even though the bird can't feel it yet. And so from that inspiration, she got the name Nightbird, that, that she has this faith that even though things are so bad right now, she believes that there's a morning to come. Well, in her blog, right, last year I shared about a different blog. Today I want to share a, diff a blog that, that uh, she wrote called bald girl in the dark because she lost all her hair and she writes this or she wrote this I haven't come as far as I'd like in understanding the things that have happened this year but here's one thing I do know when it comes to pain God isn't often in the business of taking it away instead he adds to it he's more of a giver than a taker he doesn't take away my darkness he adds light he doesn't spare me of thirst he brings water he doesn't cure my loneliness, he comes near. So why do we believe that when we are in pain, it must mean that God is far? In the beginning, there was immense, immeasurable emptiness, but God was drawn to it like a fog to the sea. He stretched out his spirit over the void and he stayed. If the stories I've heard of him are true, surely he is nearest of all to me, to us. You see, the creator is still here, where he has always been hovering over the emptiness. I am still reeling, drenched in sorrow. I am still begging, bargaining, demanding, disappearing. And I guess that means I have all the more reason to say thank you because God is drawing near to me again, 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 no matter how many times he is sent away. We all have so much to be thankful because no matter what circumstance we're in, God never leaves us. He's always with us. And he has promised that one day he will bring in that morning when he makes all things whole. And of course, as I mentioned already, he has already given us the guarantee of that, right? The reason why we can trust in that goodness to come is because of the sacrifice of Jesus that has already happened. At the center of the Shrine of Remembrance. How many of you have been there? Have you seen this? You know that marble stone that's in the middle of the shrine? And um, I was reading about it, and the architect, it's so well designed. He, he designed the marble to be sunk underneath so that the viewer is forced to bow their head to see what's under it, is what um, they described it as. And so that the visitors bows their heads to read this inscription that says, Greater love hath no man. And this inscription is from the from the Bible verse, John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And the person who designed this shrine designed it so that there's an aperture, a little opening in the roof. And, it, and exactly at 11 a.m. on the 11th of November, the sun shines on the word love. Now, because of daylight saving, 
doesn't work out anymore, but that was originally how it was designed. And so now they artificially uh, shine the light love um, every half hour and they observe a minute of silence. But there's the proof. Greater love has no man than this. When Jesus died for us on the cross, he was proving to the universe that God does love the world and that he will give us that goodness he has promised. And so when we look back at our history and when we give thanks to God for what he has done, it helps us to remember that we can keep going. A third way to remember God is by observing the Sabbath. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, Moses says, Remember you are slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Observing the Sabbath is about remembering what God has done for us. Remembering who we are in God. Theologian um, Henry Nguyen said, We face three deceptions that we have to counteract as Christians. These deceptions are one, I am what I do. Right? That is a deception that we have to fight. Two is I am what I have. And the third deception is I am what other people think of me. And Henry Nguyen said, These are the three deceptions that as a Christian we're constantly counteracting and trying to overcome. Now, Roy was reflecting on this to me, and he observed, so I'm just sharing now Roy's thoughts. <laughs> um, he was observing to me that the Sabbath counteracts these three deceptions because it teaches us how to find our identity in God aside from our works, aside from what we have, aside from what other people think of us. You know, for example, by creating those boundaries of and asking us to abstain from work on Sabbath, God is teaching us to rest in him, that we are not what we do. We are who we are because we're God's children, because he created us. In the book of Nehemiah, God commands us not to buy or sell on Sabbath, counteracting, counteracting our, our consumerism, right? For 24 hours, we have to learn how to be content with what we already have. And we cease from the consumerism and the capitalism and the work that others have to do um, when we, um, you know, buy ourselves with them as well. And so the Sabbath uh, helps us to find our value from who we are in God and not on what we have or don't have. And by redirecting our focus away from ourselves, away from what people think of us, and thinking instead of what on what God thinks of us, right? The Sabbath is a, is a perfect time to recalibrate our identity and our expectations and our value, right? It's a day God has created the universe, that God is going to make all things new. It is the only commandment out of the ten that actually says, remember, right? remember. And so the Sabbath is a memorial in time to help us remember and reflect on God's goodness and grace. A fourth way to remember God is by teaching the next generation. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9, Moses says, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and their children after them. And whether it's literally your children or just the idea is the next generation, right? 
leave a legacy for the next generation, for the community. Tell your story. Tell your parents' stories. Keep that flame of faith alive. Someone out there needs to know that they are not alone. And I'm so grateful for for、um, children's books, right? Even though they're written for children, right? They're they're. If you read children's books, it shows the kinds of things we're trying to pass on to the next generation. And email、uh, last year we did the series on pioneers of faith on the Angels Head Australia series. That was all inspired from the children's books,、um, talking about the various pioneers who came and were missionaries here in Australia. And so, what we leave behind for the next generation, the stories we tell to the next generation, help us remember ourselves about God. Finally, the book of Deuteronomy teaches us to remember God by placing reminders in our everyday life. Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four to nine. Moses says, "These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house." When you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, if you've ever been to a Jewish home, you might have noticed on the doorpost this little thing. It's called a mezuzah, and it's literally Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four to nine. On a little tiny scroll that's been handwritten by a specific, you know, scribe who 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 does this, and then it's rolled up and placed in a usually very、um, decorative little case, metal case, and they place it on the door to remind them. You might have also seen some Jewish men who pray, literally wearing、uh, these phylacteries, these boxes that contain. Passages, passages from the law, and they literally bind them on their heads and on their hands when they pray, as a reminder to them, right? As a reminder to them, and they're they're fulfilling what they believe、um, is a response to Moses' commands. And we too can have physical reminders, right? Quotes on the wall, pictures on our screen, and let's face it, more than physical. Things we spend most of our time on the phone, so digital reminders are a great way for that we can、um, have these practical reminders in our daily daily life. You might be able to subscribe to daily devotionals on various social media platforms.、Um, on my Instagram, I follow、um, there's a, a handle called、uh, Daily Bible Verses, and so every day there's a you know Bible verse that、um, you can reflect on. I really love、uh, meaningful word. Glenda, who has come to our church several times, is just an amazing Christian artist, and so she creates these digital、um, art with sometimes Bible verses, sometimes just various thoughts, and I just I'm just so inspired every time she creates one of these. You can listen to a podcast on your commute or on a walk. You know there are so many kinds of podcasts now.、Um, I looked up some. There's Christian comedy, Christian science, Christian mental health. Christian fiction, right? You name it. Christian parenting, you name it. There's a there's a podcast for it, and so you you can find something that's gonna fit your interest that will help you remember God. So just to review, five ways to remember God according to Moses in the Book of Deuteronomy is to review history, your history, your ancestors' history, your your culture's history, right? Christian history, 
Secondly, is to practice praise and thanksgiving because there's always something we can be grateful for. The third is to observe the Sabbath and to take that day to remember and rest and reflect. The fourth is to teach the next generation, leave a legacy behind. We learn best by teaching. And fifth is to place practical reminders in your daily life. And as a way to uh, practice some of these things, in May, I want to invite you to a prayer challenge. Um, and this challenge is to uh, weekly during the month of May, so it's about three or four times, to have a weekly uh, prayer time with your prayer partner where you can ask each other, what are you grateful for today? How has God, what has God done for you recently? What's something God has done for you recently? And what can I pray for you? And so I want to really invite and challenge you to join this. And so all you have to do is message me, and you can do it right now, and just say yes. Jenha, I want, I want uh, you just a yes prayer, okay? And I'll know what you, you are saying. And what I'll do is I'll match you up with someone, and just during the month of May, you call each other once a week. We've done this before in the past at MCAC. Um, it's been a few years since we've done it. But, um, and it's a, it's a time for you to, to remember, reflect, and pray together. And so um, I know that it takes courage, right, to come out of your comfort zone and say, yep, I'm willing to do this, but I guarantee it'll be a blessing. Um, most of the relationships I have in my life that have given me the most blessings are, are the people I pray with, the people who pray for me. Um, and we've, we've come to care for each other in a special way because we pray for each other. And so this is something that uh, will remind you of it as the week goes on, but if you could all... Let me know by next Saturday so that uh, when May begins, um, our partners are set. I pray that as we reflect and remember God's goodness, our faith and our love for him will increase and abound so that not only will it transform us, but it will transform our relationships and it will transform our communities. And so speaking of prayer, would you please bow your heads with me as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for giving us the Bible, giving us these stories for us to reflect and remember so that we can have confidence that you are guiding us in our present and our future. I pray that you would help us to, to make that effort to pause and remember, to listen to the stories, to ask the questions, to be brave enough to tell our stories. And Father, I want to pray for anyone who might be still kind of hesitant about um, praying with someone, that, Father God, you would, um, yeah, just give them a little nudge. And that, Father, through this experience, as you pray together, um, we'll really uh, experience that faith-building, um, I guess, growth that happens when we pray with each other and we reflect on what we're grateful for and to have that accountability and that encouragement. And so, Father, I, I do pray uh, for those who couldn't come today, for those who are watching, those who are sick, who are traveling, etc., um, that whenever they're watching this, wherever they are, that they would also feel um, you nudging them, um, and that, Father God, we'd be able to be a community that prays together, um, not just for ourselves, but for our, our world. And there are so many things in the world and people in the world who need our prayers, Lord. Um, and so, Father, we, we present um, for you this, this great need that we have for you, and we do ask for you to continue to lead us. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen.